Strong Tower, would you turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 3? That's the Old Testament book of Esther chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want to say that this message this morning might not be for everybody. But I do know it's for somebody, and I pray that that somebody is you. And if it's not you today, I guarantee it will be you or for you another day. <laughs> yes, 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 because um, last Sunday, I preached a virtual sermon for my friend, Travis Hines. Father Travis Hines was the associate rector just down the road at St. Bartholomew's right here in Nashville. Well, this summer he took another position at uh, Emmanuel Anglican Church in Northern Virginia. And he was officially installed into the position of senior rector last Sunday. And he asked your pastor if I could give the charge and give the message for him and for his congregation that day. And it was an honor and a delight for me to do that, to speak a word into him and into that body. And so afterwards, he sent me a text thanking me for the message, and it really blessed my heart. I did it as unto the Lord, and I always love it when what I do for the Lord blesses other people, and he was blessed by it. And as I sat there reading his text message, I decided to then do a little bit of scrolling on social media. I went over to Crackbook, I mean, excuse me, Facebook. And as I began to scroll Facebook, I saw that there was someone who had a negative message to communicate to me. And uh, you, you may not believe this strong tower, but there are a lot of people who don't like your pastor. There are a lot of people who don't like me. And so I get my fair share of um, hate mail and comments and things like that. And there's this man in my hometown of Baltimore, Maryland. He just, he, he trolls me. And he just feels the need to try to correct me all the time, especially when I'm speaking about biblical, restorative, racial justice from, from the scriptures. He, he, he seems to always have a problem with things that I say, and he tries to uh, rebuke me and correct me. He's downright disrespectful to me. And when I saw his latest uh, barrage against me, I had a choice. Was I going to allow what he was saying to overwhelm me, overcome me, and allow me to, to sink into sorrow? Or was I going to take it, you know, just, just and move on from there and continue to thank God for what happened with my friend Father Travis? Uh, because sometimes when you get that negative energy, that negative message, it can try to override the positive things that God is doing in your life. And I know in my early days of ministry and even as a young man, I had a tendency of putting too much energy and focus on the negative comments and the negative responses as opposed to the great things and the positive things and the good things that God was doing in my life. Uh, because I've learned that there's no such thing as a 100% approval rating in life or ministry. Everybody is not going to like you. And if you sit around waiting for everybody to like you, you're going to be waiting for a long time. It's not going to happen. Everybody didn't like Jesus then, and everybody doesn't like Jesus now. And he was perfect, and he did everything perfectly. 
And he didn't have a 100% approval rating. As a matter of fact, they crucified him. So don't go looking for something that is not going to happen. Because as Lecrae the rapper says, if you live for other people's approval and acceptance, you're going to die from their rejection. Ah, that's a good word today. And so today I just want to encourage you that you've got to learn how to move on when people are negative or say bad things about you. If you don't learn to move on, you will keep moaning on. You either move on or you moan on. And I don't have time to moan on with things that people say negatively against me. I don't have time for that. I, I can't give them that kind of attention and priority and place in my life. Mm -mm, th that's not what God expects of his children. All right, so today I want to talk about that because who you focus on will determine the quality of your life. Let me run it in reverse and say it one more time. Whoever you focus on, whether it's someone positive or someone negative, it will determine the quality of your life, what and who you focus on. If you focus only on the bad things that are going on in your life, if you give them greater priority than all of the good things that God is doing in your life, then that focus, that negative focus will hinder the quality of your life. Because what you focus on or who you focus on determines how you will live your life. And so the negative will always be there. But we cannot focus on those things or those people. We must focus on the great things that God is doing. Now, we don't deny those things. We don't act like it's not happening. We just don't give them the allegiance. We don't give them the time. We don't give them the energy, the emotional uh, attachment. No, 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 no. And we're going to see today that there was a man who made a mistake with his life by focusing on something, one thing, one person that was just not going well in his life. And it cost him everything. So today I want to talk about a man in the Bible that I've never preached about before, but I, I hope that uh, uh, you will get this message. I want to talk about a man named Haman today from the book of Esther, and I want us to hang with Haman. So that's the title of the message today, Hanging with Haman, all right? Now, now when we come to the book of Esther, Haman is the villain. He's the villain. So we're going to learn today from the villain of the story. And one thing about wisdom is sometimes wisdom is learning what not to do. Sometimes wisdom is learning from a villain so that you don't repeat his or her characteristics and traits and qualities and actions. So today as we get into this Old Testament book of Esther, we're going to hang with Haman a little bit, all right? And we're going to see the mistakes that he made so that we can learn from those mistakes and not make those same mistakes ourselves. Let me pray for us. Father, would you bless this word? Might we have ears to hear? Might we learn something today? Might we apply these biblical truths and principles to our lives so that, Lord, we can be free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. 
We don't want to be entangled, Lord, by anyone's opinion. We don't want to give credence to a person, Lord, that even would, would border onto idol worship. We don't want to give people that kind of place in our lives. We give you first place. We acknowledge that you are Lord. Lord, we don't make you Lord. Lord, we agree that you are Lord. So we submit ourselves to you right now. And I pray, Lord, that you teach us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hanging with Haman. Look at Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Just, just quick by way of background. The children of Israel are in uh, Shushan. They are in what is called Persia. And many of the Jews have gone back to Jerusalem uh, as a result of the 70-year Babylonian captivity coming to an end. So many of the Jews went back with Nehemiah. They went back with Ezra and they began to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. But some Jews stayed in Persia. Uh, it was Babylon, but then when the Persians defeated the Babylonians, it became Persia. So many of the Jews stayed there, and that's what we read of in the book of Esther. It tells the story of the Jews who remained in the land and did not go back to Jerusalem or to the promised land, Israel. And so we, we, we come against, uh, we come to this portion of the story where there's this man who has, who's going to have a vendetta against the, the Hebrew people of God. So let's read it. Esther chapter 3 verse 1. It says, after these things, King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes, he promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. All right, so we're introduced to Haman, who we know according to the rest of the book, he's the villain who's going to try and see all of the Jews annihilated. But before we get to that point, he is simply a man in the king's court and a man who has just received, according to verse three, a promotion. Ah, anybody need a promotion out there in, 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 in Strong Tower today? Anybody need a promotion? Anybody need a raise on their job? Yeah, yeah. I know God still blesses during this pandemic. So this man, Haman, was promoted. He was also advanced by the king. And when the king advanced him, he set his seat above all the princes who were with him. In other words, Haman became the number two guy to the king. He became higher and more advanced than all of the other officials and administrators in the land. So this man is blessed. Would you not agree with me that he is blessed? He's been promoted, he's been advanced, and his seat has been elevated above everyone. He is the number two man to the king. And then the Bible says in verse two that people even bowed down to him because that's what the king commanded. So we know that people would bow down to the king, but now the king has given authority to Haman so that people will bow down to him. But we see a, a, a key conjunction here in verse two. We see the word but, a conjunction of contrasts. Everybody bow, everybody pay homage, but. 
Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Now, this is going to wreck Haman. The fact that everybody's giving him props, everybody is respecting him, but there's one guy who didn't get the memo. There's one guy who refuses to give homage to him and bow down to him. And I'm here to say to you that there will always be somebody who doesn't agree with how God's blessing you. There will always be someone who doesn't give you the respect that you feel you deserve. There'll always be a Mordecai in your life. Someone who doesn't appreciate your elevation. Someone who doesn't bow down to you. Someone who doesn't honor you. There'll, there'll always be a Mordecai in your life. And as we're going to see, it's not about the Mordecais. It's about how we respond to the Mordecais. And Haman is not going to respond well to Mordecai. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So did you see that? Mordecai did not bow because he was Jewish, which means that he bows only to Jehovah, only to the Lord, that he would not bow down to a man. And so this infuriated Mordecai, uh, excuse me, this infuriated Haman that Mordecai did not bow. And it says that he was filled with wrath. And when you start getting filled with wrath, and anger and bitterness because of what someone else did or did not do to you, you are now going down a slippery slope towards a fiery end. We can't give people that much power that we end up getting filled with wrath because we're just so upset. Now, the Bible lets us know in the book of James that when we are filled with rage and when we're angry with an anger that's not a righteous anger, we cannot live the righteous life that God requires. James chapter 1 tells us that. Why? Because if we're filled with anger, if we're filled with wrath, we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we're filled with anger and, and unrighteous wrath, it's all about us. Which means we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must decrease that God's presence might increase in our lives. We must empty ourselves of ourselves that we might be full of the Holy Spirit. But if we're full of ourselves, if we're a fool who in and of ourselves, then God will not fill us because we're filling ourselves. We must die to ourselves, empty ourselves that God may fill us. So when I'm angry, it's more about me and less about God. When I'm filled with wrath and later he's going to be filled with indignation. We need to be careful of the, the things we're full of today. So, so what are you full of? Is Mordecai making you that upset on your job? 
Is Mordecai making you that upset within your family, within your church, within your relationships and your community? Is Mordecai someone you see on the media? Is Mordecai someone in the government that when you see them, you become filled with anger, with wrath and with indignation? I'm here to let you know you, you got to deal with that right now, because if you don't deal with that wrath, it's going to lead to something, something disastrous, something dangerous. Because as we see in this text, that as this man was filled with wrath, he then began to execute a plan in order to have the people of God executed. So he didn't deal with that rage that he had. But remember now that the chapter started with how he had been promoted. The chapter started with how he had been advanced. The chapter started with how people were paying homage to him. So why would he let one person, one man, Ruin his demeanor, ruin his disposition. One person ruin his attitude for the day. He's given Mordecai too much power. And when we do that, we give the Mordecais of our lives too much power. Oh, don't go anywhere. Hang with me. Because he's going to execute this plan. He's going to misuse his institutional power in order to hurt the Jews institutionally. And because he's aiming at the Jews, this is based on religion and race. So we see institutional racism at the hands of Haman, a government official, in order to annihilate the Jews in all of the provinces that are led and overseen by the Medo-Persians. But, but, but chapter 4 comes along and Mordecai has a cousin who's in the castle. And that is Esther. Esther had become the king's wife. And as she was in the palace, Mordecai was at the king's gate. And he got word to her about the, um, the, 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 the government uh, edict that had gone forth to kill all the Jews. And so he told her to use her position in order to petition for the souls and the lives of the Hebrew people. And at first, Esther said... I, I can't do that because the king hasn't called for me and I can't go into him unannounced because if I do, then that means I might die. And so Mordecai challenged his cousin Esther and he said, uh, don't think that you're going to get away because you live in the palace. Who knows that for such a time as this, God may have placed you there not only to save your life, but to save the lives of your people. And so she heeded the challenge and she told Mordecai to tell the people to fast for her. She went and fasted for three days, and then she went before the king. Well, chapter 5 talks about when she came before the king after three days of fasting, knowing that her life could be taken because she's going in without being asked for. She, she, she takes the risk. She puts herself in harm's way. She becomes a Christ figure, if you will. She, she puts herself as a mediator between wrath and the people. And she's looking for them to be saved by her demonstration of courage to go before her husband on that day. So she goes, and by grace, he extends to her his scepter. Rather than extending a sword to have her beheaded, he extends a scepter because the Bible says that Esther found favor with her husband who happened to be the king. Look at Esther chapter 5, verse 3. 
And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let, Haman, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Ah, so out of her fast, God must have given her a plan. God must have given her a strategy. And so her plan was, to host a banquet, not only for the king, but for his right man, Haman, who at this point, the king doesn't know that Haman is misusing his power to try and kill all the Jews because of a personal beef and vendetta that he has with one Jew named Mordecai. So he hates all of them because he hates one man. And he's trying to kill everybody, but the king doesn't know that that's exactly what's going on here. And Mordecai does not know that the king's wife is Jewish. So just hold on, hold on here. It's about to get better. So there's this plot. Esther has favor. She says, I have a plan. I want you to come to the banquet. And tomorrow we'll do the same thing. Just the two of you will come to the banquet. So now we go to verse nine, all right? So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart, stop and pause. Man, he's excited because he's at an exclusive party. He's at an exclusive event. It's just him and the king, so you can't tell him nothing now. He knows he's the man, that he's got this exclusive place, this place of priority and celebration that no one else has but the king. So when homeboy leaves that first day, he is excited. The Bible says he is joyful and he has a glad heart. But here comes that conjunction of contrast in verse 9. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Did you see that? <laughs> Homeboy went from being glad to mad, <laughs> from being joyful to now being filled with indignation because Mordecai did not pay him homage. Earlier, he's upset because Mordecai wouldn't bow. Now he's upset that Mordecai won't stand or tremble before him. In other words, Mordecai does not respect Haman and it's ruining Haman's whole life experience. Then verse 10 says, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children 
everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Oh, he, he's basically giving a testimony of how blessed he is. Do you see that? He's saying, look, look, I've got friends. I've got a wife. I've got a multitude of children. I've been promoted, advanced. I went to a special banquet today. I'm going to a special banquet tomorrow. You see those blessings? You see how good his life is? But we see another conjunction of contrast in verse 13. Not but this time, but yet. Read with me. Yet, all of this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Oh my goodness. This man says, I've got all this going on in my life. I got friends, I got a wife, I got children, I got money, I got position, I got promotion. Yet. Oh, oh, and I've been to a banquet, I'm going to one tomorrow, yet. None of that means anything because this one person will not give me my props. Come on, y'all, help me out here now. This is real stuff. Because we've been in that place where the Mordecai's in our lives cause us to miss all of the great things that God has done and is doing in our lives. Uh, we, we elevate the Mordecai who doesn't respect us. We elevate the Mordecai who, who, who treats us like we are trash. We elevate the negative comments. We elevate the negative people and the bad things that are going on in our lives. Even when we start thinking about the good things, those good things have lost their place to the bad thing or the, or the person that doesn't like us. And it messes with the quality of our life. So we got to learn from Haman, all right? So now watch this. Verse 14, then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet and the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. So his wife said, okay, I see this man is getting on your last nerve. Why don't you ask the king if you can hang him tomorrow? So Haman was like, I like that plan. So all night long, he had his people build the gallows or the place where you hang people from. So they're hammering all night long. Because his wife said, you ought to have that man killed. Since he's ruining all your joy, he's taking your peace, you're, you're focusing on him all the time, just kill him. So his people are working all night, but chapter 6 tells us the king can't sleep that night. Now you got to watch the hand of providence in the book of Esther. Because in the book of Esther, you don't read of the name of God. In the book of Esther, you see them fasting, but you don't see the word prayer. So God is not mentioned. Prayer is not mentioned. But you see God at work in the book of Esther by way of providence. And providence is the invisible hand of God 
in the glove of history, working things out for the glory of God. So this book doesn't have the name of God, but the fingerprints of God are everywhere. And it starts with this king not being able to sleep. And the whole book of Esther turns on the fact that the king turned on his bed and was sleepless. And so chapter 6 says that the king said, I need somebody to read something to me, something boring. So they grab the, the chronicles and they begin reading to him different things that have happened in uh, the, the, the country. And they come across a section in the, this book of chronicles where it tells the story of how Mordecai, the Jew, who sat in the king's gate, saved the king's life some time ago from a conspiracy from two eunuchs who wanted to kill the king. But Mordecai exposed the plot and saved the king's life. And the king asked that night, has anything been done for Mordecai? And they said, no, nothing's been done for him. So now the king wants to bless this man. And just at that moment is when Haman comes into the palace early in the morning because he's going to ask the king to kill this man. And uh, so he comes in. But the king speaks first. And the king says, I want to bless somebody. I want to honor somebody who honors me. And he asks Haman, how should we do this? And Haman, being so self-absorbed and arrogant, thinks that the king is talking about Haman. So Haman says, this is what you do. Take one of the king's robes and put it on the guy. Put the guy on one of the king's horses and parade him through town and let everybody pay homage to the guy. And so the king said, yes, that's a great idea. And the king says, go and do what you said to Mordecai, the Jew, who's sitting in the gate. Oh, my goodness. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see Haman's jaw drop. Because now he's got to be a blessing to the man he's trying to kill. Now what he doesn't realize is that he's just become Mordecai's footstool. Because he was an enemy to Mordecai, but now he's a footstool to Mordecai. And here's the thing. You got to be careful because in the Abrahamic covenant, God says those who bless the Jews, I will bless those who curse the Jews. I will curse. You can't curse this people because they're already blessed. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And so 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 Haman, man, he was coming up against God when he was coming up against Mordecai. And so now he's got to parade this man through town and he's got to bow down to him and pay homage to him. And he is distraught. So we come now to chapter six, verse 12. And it says, afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Oh, how quickly they have changed their song. 
Because yesterday they were saying, man, you are the man. And you are so much the man that you ought to build some gallows and have Mordecai killed. Well, on the next day, because things can change. God can turn stuff around late in the midnight hour. He, the, the, the things that are against you, God can flip it and make things before you. This is why we have to trust in him to fight our battles and not we fight them ourselves. And so the next day, his friends, after hearing about how Haman, I mean, Mordecai had been honored by the king, they looked at Haman and said, you in trouble now. <laughs> you are in trouble now. And as they were telling him how much trouble he was in, that's when the limousine service uh, from the Persian White House came and picked him up and took him to day two of the banquet. Oh, my goodness. And so in chapter seven, we see how uh, they're, they're beginning the banquet. And Esther says to the king, I'm ready to tell you now what my request is. And so in chapter seven, verses three through ten, she tells the king that there was someone who was trying to annihilate the Jewish people which means that there was someone who was trying to annihilate her, the queen, because she was Jewish. The king said, what? Who would try to kill the Jews, yet alone try to kill my baby, kill my woman? And Esther said, it's Haman, that wicked man, Haman. And so the king was so upset that he got up and walked out the room to begin thinking about what he was going to do. And while he was out of the room, the Bible says that Haman began to plead for his life to Esther. And I'll begin reading at verse 7. It says, Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hang Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Wow. In 24 hours, his life turned upside down all because he couldn't contain himself from a personal gripe that he had with one person. He let Mordecai get under his skin, which caused him to sin and miss all of the ways that he had been blessed. And he had prepared gallows to hang Mordecai on, and the next day he would be hung on those same gallows. Can I tell you what Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27 says? Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. 
Well, what can we learn from Haman? What can we learn from this message? If, if we're going to hang with Haman, because Haman got hung. Well, I, well, I don't want to hang with Haman to that point now, but I want to learn from Haman. Number one, don't be obsessed with Mordecai that you forget how blessed you are. Okay? Don't be so obsessed with Mordecai that you make Mordecai into an idol and you forget how blessed you are. Because had this man just walked in his blessing and minded his own business and left Mordecai alone, he'd still be alive in this text. Secondly, don't allow how people respond to you or don't respond to you dictate your happiness. Don't allow whether people are kind to you or unkind, whether people are respectful or disrespectful. Don't allow how people treat you determine whether or not you're going to be happy or at peace because there will always be people, as we mentioned in this message, who will disrespect you, who will not honor you. But don't give them the satisfaction of having your whole life altered because of them. They are not to be given that kind of power in your life or in my life. Thirdly, don't make plans to harm people because you will reap what you sow. So if there are people on your job that you know don't like you, uh, don't try to set it up where they get fired. Don't try to set it up where you try to produce false evidence or false claims against them uh, to, to get rid of them because they're getting on your nerves. As people of God, that's not who we are. That, that's not the stuff we do. Mm -mm. You don't set people up. And if you're married, you don't set your spouse up uh, to get in trouble. Oh, boy. Number four, if the person you have a problem with is a child of God, be careful because God is their father. Now, Haman obviously is a pagan and an unbeliever. Mordecai is a believer in God. And when he picked a fight with Mordecai, he was picking a fight with God. So you got to be careful with how you treat people, especially people who belong to God. And so Christians can become at odds with one another. But this is why you always have to step back and leave room for God to settle things or, or for, for vengeance to occur. We never need to take matters into our own hands as believers because God knows how to spank his own children. But he doesn't need us to try to do his work for him. So when you come against people, Christian people, people profess to be Christian, you need to be careful because those are God's kids. Even though they may not be acting in accordance to the things of God, you need to leave them alone because they belong to God. All right? Oh, boy. Mm, mm, mm. And here's one that's really going to get you. Don't be preoccupied with a person who probably isn't even thinking about you. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't be so preoccupied with this person because this person probably is not even thinking about you and they surely aren't thinking about you the way that you're thinking about them or to the level of time and energy that you're thinking about them. Because when I read this text, Mordecai is not thinking about Haman. Mordecai could care less about Haman. Matter of fact, after Mordecai is honored in the community, he goes right back to sitting in the gate. He doesn't try to rub it in on Haman. He could care less. But I've learned a lot of times I give a lot of energy to people who ain't giving no energy to me. They're not thinking about me, so stop thinking about them. And move on unless you want to keep moaning on. 
So those are just some of the things we can learn from this passage. But how do we move on, Pastor? How, how, how do we move on? Okay, I see what's going on. I see the pattern. How do I move on? Well, let's recognize how Satan works. And it's as old as the Garden of Eden. Because with Adam and Eve, Satan used a strategy and a tactic that he still uses with us today. And when he came on the scene in Genesis chapter 3, being very subtle, very crafty, he comes to the woman. He asks her, did God really say, you shall not eat from every tree that is in the garden? And she says, God says, we can't eat from the tree of good and evil that's in the middle of the garden. For if we eat of it and touch it, we'll surely die or we'll die. And the devil says to her, you're not going to surely die. God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Here's the point. Genesis opens up with God creating. And on the fifth day, I believe it's the fifth day, he creates the vegetation, all the trees. Then on the sixth day, he creates man, woman, and all the animals. So there are trees all over the place. Beautiful trees. And this is the world in its unfallen state. There are any kind of fruit you can imagine. I mean, the colors are popping. The, 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 the flavor of the fruit is popping. And so they have access to all these trees because God says, be fruitful. Be fruit. Enjoy what I've done for you and created for you. But here comes the devil. And he wants to focus on the one tree that they were not supposed to have. The one tree that they did not need and the one tree that would kill them. So he comes to focus on that one thing. And what they should have done was say, wait a minute, devil. I've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands and millions of trees at my disposal. I don't need to focus on that one tree that I can't have and that I don't need and that will kill me. I've got so many other trees in my repertoire. All of these blessings that God has given to me. So how do you overcome? How do you move on and not moan on? You start thanking God for all the trees in your garden. All the ways that he has blessed you. And not focus on that one thing that hasn't turned out right just yet. Or that one person who disrespects you and you forget all the people that love you and all the people that care for you. So stop focusing on that one person on that, or that one thing and start looking at all of the ways that God has blessed you. He woke you up this morning. That's a blessing. He started you on your way. That's a blessing. He clothed you with clothes and in your right mind. Those are blessings. You start counting your blessings. And stop paying so much attention to the people or the things that are not going well in your life. That's how you move on. Can you do that? Can you open up your eyes to see how good God has been? And then can you open up your mouth and give him the praise? Stop uh, talking so much about the negative stuff. Stop talking so much about the people that don't like you and start giving God praise and start thanking him for the people that do love you, the people that do like you, the things in your life that are going well. Shift it, flip it. Otherwise, the Mordecai's in your life are going to ruin the quality of your life. 
You have a choice to make. Don't give Mordecai all of that attention, all of that power. You know, with the uh, Fuller story that we've been doing for the past three years, that you have also been along with us in this journey as a church, as we um, have put up the five historical markers in downtown Franklin around the Confederate monument. And next year, Lord willing, on Juneteenth weekend, there will be a statue of a black man of a United States colored troop soldier that will stand right there in the square. All this is gonna happen. Now, a lot of people love what we're doing, but you do know that there are some people who hate what we're doing. And they're not all pro-Confederate people. There are people, there are Christians who disagree with what we're doing. And I won't get into all of that, but I will say this. I do not give my time and attention to the few people who are against what God has given us through the fullest story. And these are people I know. I love them. They disagree with me. I disagree with them. But there was a time many years ago I would have been so concerned and consumed with what other people thought, I would have missed my blessing. But Chris has grown. And man, I'm looking at what God is doing, what God is about to do. I'm excited. Yeah, I hear them. And anything that's credible, I will listen to and heed. But for the most part, those Mordecais, they do not infiltrate my heart and my spirit because God is just doing too much to give them that kind of attention and power in my life. I hope you can learn that. Oh, let me keep on going, let me keep on going. I remember years ago, we had an exodus of people leave our church. They left Strong Tower and it broke my heart and it should as a pastor, I love people, but I have to keep being reminded they are not my people, they are God's people. And just as he leads them in, he can lead them out. So you hold people loosely if you even hold them at all. They're God's people. But in my early years as a pastor, when people would leave, I would take it personal. And I would be so hurt when people left that it would hinder how I ministered to the people who remained. And I remember there was an older saint in the church at the time who said to me, Pastor, I know you're heartbroken that these people have left, but don't forget the fact that we are here. So I don't know what's going on in your life. Someone may have left you, they're talking about you, something isn't going right. Okay, it's real, it has happened. But don't you miss all the things that God is doing because you're focused so much on something or someone that, that didn't go well. So I hope you hear me today and I hope you can apply this message to your life. Father, thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Wash me in the water. Cleanse me in the mercy of your love. I need a heavenly Good morning, Strong Tower. Uh, so uh, first, let me just say that I'm quarantining from my family just out of precaution. Thankfully, I, I haven't felt sick, but uh, we just... Due to some work uh, that I had recently, we just felt it was a good idea to take the precaution and uh, separate for a couple weeks. So we've got a sheet hung up, a piece of plastic with some tape around it just to separate their space and my space. Um, so uh, that's why Abby was able to share a testimony from last week. 
uh, and I wanted to share one from this side of the sheet this week. Uh, so God is my strong tower because he has uh, given me this incredible, beautiful family, um, but he has been faithful to our family in seeing us through uh, some tough seasons in uh, our family's history. Uh, so I was reminded in the Bible, in the Old Testament, how the Israelites would set up uh, stones of remembrance to remember times that God had been faithful to them um, and seeing them through uh, seasons where they didn't see a way and God made a way, as Pastor Chris has said. Um, and so I, I just, I, I've got a prayer journal that um, I keep uh, my prayers in and um, I went back and read some old prayers uh, for some seasons uh, where Abby was in the hospital uh, with preeclampsia after Theo had been born or, um, you know, Max had um, a spot that was getting removed and having surgery or seasons of job uncertainty and um, there have just been so many seasons in our life that God has answered those prayers and so I read then you know several entries later about how God creatively and uniquely answered those prayers not in ways that we always uh, either wanted or expected but um, it's been cool to look back and see how he's answered the prayers that we've had and so it gives me hope that even uh, in this season of uncertainty uh, season of job and financial uncertainty, uh, seasons where we just, we don't know what uh, tomorrow even looks like next week or next month or, or certainly next year. So it's, it's given me hope looking back at all of the faithfulness and the goodness of God that he will continue that even though I don't know what that looks like. Um, as, as Abby so wisely said last week, we've got our daily bread and, and that's all we need right now. So um, that's why God is my strong tower. I miss everybody. Bye. Well, amen, church. Once again, as usual, he's faithful. God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And although he is the same, that does not mean that he is boring. That just means that his character doesn't change. You can bank on him. You can count on him. But he's always got something new for us to learn about him, for us to give him glory for. And I thank God for all the things that we heard today and the things that we witnessed today. And I just want to extend an invitation to anyone who is a believer in Christ. You know the Lord Jesus, but you don't have a church home. You live in the Nashville area and you would like to become a part of this church. Well, if you would, let us know. Send us an email at info at stbch.org and we will get back with you to let you know when we will have a Zoom membership class. All right. So just because we can't gather in here doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a part of a local church. And if not this church, please find a church because every sheep needs to be in a sheepfold with under shepherds under the good shepherd Jesus. So be intentional. Get a church home. And maybe it's this one. 
so check us out. But most importantly, it's one thing to be a member of a local church, but it's far better to be a member of the kingdom of God, to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. Well, how can you know that you can have a relationship with God? The way that you can have a relationship with God is to accept his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus is the mediator. He's the one who brings the two together because we were born at odds with God. We were born as enemies of God. But Jesus came, put that war to death when he allowed himself to die on Calvary's cross. So in order to be at peace with God and have the peace of God, you must accept the mediator, the one who sacrificed his life for you and for me to bring us back to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And not only did he die for you, he rose again from the grave for you. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you want to be saved today, say from your heart to God's heart, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are Lord. Jesus, save me from my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. And if that was your prayer today, the angels are rejoicing and we're rejoicing with you as well. That is the best decision you've ever made in your life. But please let us know. So please, you send us an email at info at stbch.org if you became a Christian or a believer in Christ today. And if you are a believer who's never been baptized, we'll baptize you here at Strong Tower Bible Church based upon your confession of faith. And so let us know that as well, and we'll get back in, in touch with you for when we're going to do an outdoor baptismal service coming up in the early part of the fall. And you can also reach us at info at stbch.org. All right, amen, amen. I pray that we all have made a decision today, whether to join a church, whether to receive the Lord, or to be baptized, but for the rest of us, that we're making a decision today to hang with Haman so that we don't get hung because we have an issue with the Mordecai's of our lives. To learn from Haman today, to make some, some distinctive choices with how we're going to respond to negative people and negative occurrences in our lives. So I pray that this word bless you. And then also we're moving into next month for the 25th anniversary. So I want to celebrate God and honor men and women who are growing in their faith. All right. No place to be stagnant. So let's keep growing in the Lord. And we thank God for what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we got to assemble today to worship you. And Lord, I wish I was with the people. And I know there are many who wish that they were here with us today. But Lord, until that time, I thank you that we can connect virtually. And Lord, I pray that we would not murmur nor complain about the times, but that, Lord, we would trust you during these times. And I pray for people, Lord God, who are struggling right now. 
as it pertains to their work, as it pertains to their health, as it pertains to what's going on in their, in their families, the emotional uh, strain that many people are carrying right now because they don't have their normal outlets, Lord, for fellowship and interaction with others. Lord, I just pray that you would be that friend that would stick closer than a brother. I pray, Lord, that you would work in them the resurrection power that you possess, that, Lord, you would fill them, fill us with hope, with joy, with courage, with peace, with love, with the power we need to, the, to live the lives that you require of us. We depend on you. We lean on you. We trust you and we worship you. For we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen, Strong Tower. God bless. Oh, and don't forget the food bank. Drop off on Tuesday. Pick up on Thursday. We're still here. If there's anyone that has a need, we are here for you or for your neighbors or for family members. Come by on Thursday and be blessed that you may be a blessing. All right. God bless, church. See you soon.